0: make it clear that we are the branches. Help us to know that our spiritual nourishment and salvation and transformation and power are dependent on enjoying an abiding love relationship with you, Jesus, our true vine. Father, help us to see where in our lives you are pruning us, where in our church you are pruning us in order to bring about greater fruitfulness Help me to speak your words, not mine, Holy Spirit. So in this moment, I ask for your power and your anointing and your, and your help because I need it. Uh, through Christ we pray. Amen. I'll invite Ian to come and read today's scripture.
1: All right, um, today's scripture is from John chapter 15, verses 1 through 11. I take my glasses off. I am the true vine, and my Father and my Father is a vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, He takes away, and every branch that does not that does bear fruit, He prunes. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be be full. Thank
0: you very much. Ian, uh, let's take a minute to pass around our trusty clipboards. If you want to greet on Friday for the Good Friday service, we would love you forever for that. Uh, So check that out and pray about that. In the meantime, uh, thank you for reading that, Ian. We're completing, as I mentioned, our seven-part current sermon series. This is the final installment. You might be happy about that, but the series is entitled Jesus. Quote, I am, end quote. And after today, we will have looked at seven amazing I am statements that Jesus makes clear about himself throughout the Gospel of John. And the seventh and the final I am statement uh, from Jesus that we are examining today is where he says this about himself I am the true vine. I am the true vine. And when you hear Jesus refer to himself in this way, being a true vine, it sounds a little weird. But when you examine what a grapevine looks like and how it operates, it all kind of comes together, it all kind of makes sense, and just like, okay, bam, there it is. Uh, For example, did you know that according to the Guinness Book of World Records, the world's largest grapevine is found in Surrey? Did you know that it was found in Surrey? Not Surrey, B.C., (laughs) Surrey, United Kingdom, okay? Okay. Very similar, I'm sure. Not really. And this grapevine is so big in Surrey, the UK, it has become, in itself, a tourist attraction. It is rightly called the Great Vine. The Great Vine. Anyone been there? Anyone seen this, by the way? I just thought I'd put it out there. Nope. Uh, why not? Why not just go to the UK just to see this grapevine? It is located at what is known as the Hampton Court Palace, planted exactly 250 years ago. So it's 250 years old. The base of the central vine, it measures more than 12 feet. And most of the vine's branches measure more than 100 feet long from the main vine. And the longest branch on this ancient vine is 246 feet. That's a long ways. I don't know how far that would be from one end of the gym to the other, perhaps. Is that ringing coming from me? Is that just my ringing in my ears? Okay, great. Question is, how in the world did this grapevine become so large and so extensive? What made it possible for this this vine in Surrey to, to thrive to such a high degree? Well, there's a bunch of reasons. First, the main vine, the trunk, that trunk is solid and it is solidly rooted into the ground, it is strong. Secondly, due to the sheer size and strength of that main trunk vine, the branches are successfully and very able to derive all kinds of nourishment and all kinds of food and all kinds of water and structure from the base vine because of their literal connection to it. And lastly, the only way this vine could become as large and beautiful as it is is because someone has tended to it, you see, professional and very capable vine dressers for 250 years. They have carefully a- a- a pruned the healthy branches, and they've cut off the dead ones. And you see, this, this pruning and this cutting over 250 years have actually caused the entire grape vine to, to become healthier and more beautiful and produce huge amounts of very succulent Large fruit and probably wine down the road. Do you see where I'm going with this? Do you see where Jesus is going with using this word picture in this passage? Jesus uses this this powerful analogy and word picture to show you and I, to show our church family, what our relationship with Jesus is to be like and what a non-relationship with Jesus looks like as well. If you choose to be disconnected from Jesus, he makes that clear as well. And you and I need to hear these words from Jesus because it will actually help you sort of diagnose, get down to the root of what is maybe holding you back in your relationship with Jesus. All right, that's helpful. What is preventing me from from living a a joy-filled life, a fruitful life, a love-filled life with and for Jesus? What's getting in the way of that happening in me? Well, he talks about that. And then also, there's one last aspect that that this is very helpful for. Why is God allowing me to suffer? Why is he allowing this hardship to occur in my lives and these these nasty circumstances that keep coming up? Why is that happening? And this will make sense of that as well. And basically, just how powerful and meaningful a daily interconnected relationship, abiding relationship with Jesus is is in your life it's everything actually abiding with jesus is everything and we'll even unpack the word abiding because none of of us use that word do we i love this passage though this is an amazing passage i hope and i pray that you'll pay attention to it it is amazing it is rich and beautiful in every way and so here we go we're diving right into the pool let me set the stage by sharing with you that you got to know this the the important context that you need to know before we get into this passage is that the Old Testament of the Bible, which is centered around God's original covenant with Moses and commandments and all of that, and God's people were to be a light to the nations, you see, the Hebrew people, the people of Israel, and very often God referred to the people of Israel as being what? Any guesses what he referred to the people of Israel being like? Like a, a vine, a grapevine, or a vineyard, okay? Now the problem is, did the vine that was Israel, did that vine produce much fruit? That They did not, not much at all. Mostly the only fruit that ancient Israel and this vine of God produced back then was a lot of sinful fruit, a lot of rebellious fruit, a lot of bad fruit, and there's nothing worse than rotten fruit. Am I right? Nothing worse than rotten fruit. You don't like that stuff. Just think of your green can. Not a pretty sight. That was like, the, the green can was kind of the results of the lifestyle of the people of Israel. Not good. And their failure to produce any sort of real fruit or anything good, um, anything that was good or, or, or a value to God or honoring to God, well, that then resulted in God judging them and punishing them and disciplining them and very often led to him Leading his exile, exiling his people into captivity in Assyria and Babylon. Not good results at all. But then we have Jesus. Jesus comes on the scene 2,000 years ago and he says that he and he alone is the true vine. You see, he never fails like Israel did, he always produces fruit, unlike Israel did. Because why? He's God. This is God the Son. He is not immoral. He is not self-centered. He is not proud like we are. And connecting your life with the ultimate true vine is your only hope. It is, only, it is my only hope. So that's the backdrop to everything that we're looking at here. He's the best vine. Further, Jesus uses this analogy of the grapevine because, you see, back then, in, that, in those ancient times, uh, grapevines were everywhere. You know, we have blackberry bushes everywhere, and don't we love blackberry bushes that We like the fruit, but not the, the thorns so much. But just like that, they were everywhere, like blackberry bushes are everywhere here. And so people could therefore relate to what Jesus was speaking to when he suggested that he is the true vine. One last thing. One last little interesting tidbit. Bible commentator Marcus Dodds, uh, he says that vines, the vine in Bible times, it was seen to be a symbol of the coming Messiah before Jesus came. This was a symbol of the promised deliverer of Israel. So what Jesus is saying here, when he says, I am the true vine, he is telling his people, I'm the one you're waiting for. I'm the Messiah. I'm the deliverer who is here to save you guys. I'm the true vine. That's what he's saying. So that's also interesting. Now, today, for simplicity's sake, I have just three points, as I often do. You know, three points, did you know, is the law for preaching. Not really. But my three points are basically... As follows. Are you ready for this? Jesus is the true vine, number one. Secondly, we are the branches. Thirdly, the Father is the vine dresser. Jesus is the true vine. We're the branches. Father is the vine dresser. That's all I got. That's as simple as it gets. Now I will attempt to unpack each of these points. Are you ready? Verse one is where we get uh, point number one from. Jesus says, He is the true vine. And And this is not a dead, false vine like Israel was. No, Jesus is the true vine. He's the real deal. Thick, like the 12-foot diameter vine I spoke of earlier. He is solid. He is immovable. He is more than capable of providing everything the rest of the vine needs, the rest of this church needs, all of your needs spiritually as well. More than capable. He is your source. He is my source. So what does Jesus say in verse 3? the true vine does for his disciples. He refers to us being the branches connected to the true vine. What does he say the true vine does for his disciples, for his followers? He says that in verse 3, he makes us clean because of his spoken words to us. He makes us clean because of his spoken words to us. Now what this means is Jesus' instructions and teachings and commandments that we have in the Bible today Those words in the Bible have a cleansing, sanctifying power and effect on your life. He shows us what's right and what's wrong, very clarifying. He shows us what's wise and what's foolish, very clarifying. He points out in the Bible with his words, he shows us our sins and our failures, how to course correct, how to change. Yes, ultimately, the only way that we can be spiritually cleansed in full from all of our sins past present future yes is by trusting in the cross of course believing jesus died for all your sins on that cross once for all one sacrifice for all time and then when jesus rose again on that first easter easter sunday he defeated all of your sins and the power of sin in your life so that you no longer have to be dominated by sin and addiction anymore because of the cross because of jesus but then, once you become a Christian, it is essential for you to digest, to intake, to eat, if you will, Jesus' spoken words in the Bible that he's graciously given to you and I in order to continue the process of change that he has begun in you on the day of your conversion. That's how it works. Isn't that cool? What else does our true vine do for his followers, his apprentices? Uh, verse 7 if you see it in front of you verse 7 it says that when jesus's words abide in us we can ask for anything we wish and it will be done imagine that asking for anything you want and it will be done now on the surface when you hear this sounds pretty amazing if you think about it doesn't that sound awesome anything I want. Finally, I can get the Ferrari. I want... Actually, I need the Ferrari. I need the mansion, Jesus. I want it now. I need the iPhone. I'm not an Apple person, but is the XS, the, fi- the last one that they've made, and the, the last and the best and the newest? Jesus, make it so. Make it so, Jesus. Is, is this how it works? Here's the thing. When Jesus said that when... When, when his words abide in us, in you and in me, when these words abide in us, and what abide means, by the way, is to remain, to dwell, to continue, to endure. When the words of Jesus dwell in you and continue in you and remain in you and endure in you, when these words of Jesus abide in you, are you praying for the Ferrari that you think you need? Are you praying to win the lottery? Which I hear that a lot, by the way. Are you praying this kind of thing? Generally, no. Because now, because His words are abiding in you, and you're feeding on His words for spiritual nourishment and direction, you're asking for things that are in line with and parallel with Jesus' words in the Bible. You are praying for biblical things. Like Jesus, help me to love and serve and lay down my life for my spouse. Help me to train up my children in the ways that they should go, as Proverbs says. Help me to work hard, as Colossians says, and faithfully and productively work in my job as if I'm working for you, Jesus. You start to pray prayers that are biblical, that are Jesus-inspired. And sure enough, if those prayers are in line in parallel with God's will your prayers will be heard and your prayers will be answered if the timing is in line with God's timing now why does does this happen oh it's because you're starting to pray the words of Christ and according to his will his words are abiding in you and they've rooted in your heart and they're inspiring and they're changing the way you think and how you feel isn't this cool here's the next thing our true vine does for us Look at verse 11, if you have verse 11 in front of you somewhere. His spoken words to us give us, imagine this, full joy. His spoken words to us give us full, full joy. Full joy sounds good to me. This is not partial joy. This is not mediocre joy. This is not 10% joy. No, we're, we're talking about full-on joy here, it sounds like. I don't remember the exact day or time when Tammy and I this is going to sound I don't know uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Mushy?" I don't know what the word is. Overly sentimental, okay? But so bear with me. But we told each other those amazing words and I, I need to do this without laughing at myself. "I love you. I love. Why am I laughing? I love you." I love you. We spoke, we spoke those words to each other. That was an amazing moment in our dating relationship, okay? And when I said I love you and she said I love you back, in that moment, what did we experience? This much joy? No, no, no. I'm the, the full joy, okay? <laughs> then, back on the day of our retro-themed wedding, which we have all kinds of regrets for doing, uh, 1999, there was pink hair everywhere and retro suits it was, it, was, it was ugly but anyhow on that day of our wedding there were more spoken words shared between us words like that, words that filled our hearts with joy on the day of our wedding do you take this woman to be your lawfully wedded wife do you take this man to be your lawfully wedded husband and then we each said forget it no way no we didn't say that we said I do I do. So spoken words of love to each other caused joy, full on joy to erupt in our hearts and so much more. Imagine this, so much more do the words of Jesus cause this to happen in his true followers if you let it. And not just one time, we are talking about not just two times, we are talking about in an ongoing kind of way as you feed on God's words and Jesus' words in Scripture, in the Bible. And so what I'm saying is, if you struggle with joy like I do, like you're a glass half full, half empty kind of person like I am, if you struggle with experiencing joy in life, the key is get back to the Bible, get back to Scripture, get back to the promises that God gives us there and the encouragement there. Get back to feeding on the words of Christ Your soul is hungry. Get back to the food. Believe what Jesus is saying there, what God is saying there. And then you need to pray that the Holy Spirit would apply God's words in Scripture onto your heart and onto your mind. So the Holy Spirit's a big part of how you read the Bible. Open my heart and mind and spirit, Holy Spirit, to what you're saying in Scripture here. And then give me the power not just to understand what you're saying, but then to apply what you're saying and what you want me to do and then you know what the joy comes the joy comes do you believe the words in scripture do you believe the promises in the bible that god has for you are you ingesting intaking eating on feeding on god's words there if you are there's joy and you start to believe this stuff it's amazing anyhow let's move on one last thing Jesus our true vine does for us verse 9 if you look at verse 9 do you have it there it says and Jesus says essentially as the father has loved Jesus so Jesus loves us as the father loves Jesus the F- Jesus loves us I don't know if you are catching how mind blowing and how massive this truth is let me first try to explain it this way some of you in the room had good parents With good marriages. Okay, and I'm not saying you're better or worse than those of us who did not have that, okay? But if you had good parents, they really loved each other, they really served each other, chances are good that if you're married today, you are now, you got a template there. You're loving your wife or your husband just like your mom and dad did because you saw it happen and that was very helpful. Then if you have kids, chances are you are loving your children a lot like how your parents loved you. That's kind of how it works. They taught you how to love by them loving you. There's a connection between your parents loving you and now you loving your own kids if you have kids. There's a connection between also the father, how he loves his son Jesus, and Jesus now loving us, loving you, loving me. It's like a love flow chart. You see how the flow chart's going here? And that's what's really astounding, is that The amazing part is Jesus is comparing the love he has for us, for you, for me with the love God the Father has for him. I mean, I can't overstate how massive, how great, how rich, how deep, how substantial, how immeasurable is the love of the Father towards Jesus. And now that same substantial, rich, immeasurable love is there for you and for me. This is the kind of love Jesus has for you. That's amazing. And the, the way that Jesus proved he had that kind of substantial, immeasurable, rich love is when he chose the cross for you and for me. He chose punishment. He chose death. He chose to be humiliated. He chose to be whipped within an inch of his life. He chose your sins placed upon himself and then him paying the price of death for your sins, becoming a curse for you, for me. That's the kind of love we're talking about that Jesus has for you. And so, do you believe that you are deeply, truly, fully loved by Jesus? If you believe that, even in small measure, it changes, changes everything. It changes how you view life changes how you treat Jesus, changes how you treat other people. Changes how you treat your spouse, your kids, your coworkers. It it's just changes everything. Let's move on. Jesus number 1 is our true vine. Second point is this verse 5, he talks about how we, if you're a follower of Jesus, you would be in this category, we are the branches. We are the branches and let's keep running with this word picture because it's powerful. Uh, uh, unless th- those branches, no matter how long the branch is, we've got short branches, we've got long branches, no matter how long that branch is, its survival is dependent on it being connected with the main vine. If that branch is disconnected from the main vine, what happens to the branch? It dies. So in order for that branch or any branch to live and thrive, to produce grapes. The branch needs the water and the food and the nourishment and the support from the central main vine trunk. And so it is for you and for me, as a Christ follower, unless you're connected with Jesus unless you are receiving ongoing spiritual water from the Holy Spirit and, and prayer and spiritual nourishment from the Bible and connection with God's people in relationship in your church family, you are a branch. If you don't have that kind of connection, you are a branch that will not thrive, that will not do well, will not produce fruit. You will, actually, you won't, you won't make it. You won't make it. You won't make it on your own. You need connection with Jesus. Jesus. You need Jesus. I need Jesus. We all need Jesus. Now the question is, what does our true vine tell us branches, what we should be and do in this passage? Look at verse 4 there. If you have verse 4 in front of you, we are to abide in Jesus. This is what he wants you to do. He wants me to do. He wants us to abide in him. Now, we talked about this word abide earlier, okay? This is not a word that we often use in the English language today, but let me tell you, this word "abide" is a powerful word. We should use this more in church life and when we talk to each other about spiritual things. Jesus is telling you and I to abide in Him. Which, which this is here's what that means: Will you remain in Jesus? Will you endure? with Jesus no matter what? Will you dwell with Jesus no matter what? Will you continue with Jesus no matter what? In other words, to abide with Jesus means staying connected with him every minute of every day, asking for his wise counsel in your everyday decisions, today and tomorrow, reaching out for help from Jesus when those negative emotions erupt within you. I am talking about the, the negative emotions of sinful anger and feeling bad about yourself and just self-centered negative emotions and you reach out, Jesus save me from this negative emotion. It's bringing me down. It's there. I need, I need rescue in this moment. And we trust Jesus in the hard times and we say, Jesus, help me not to give in to temptation to ditch you when my life goes sideways. No, no, no. No matter what, we are to abide remain with, endure with, remain connected with Jesus. And the good news is, his promise to you is, if you abide with Jesus, he will abide in you. That's a good deal. Jesus will remain in you, continue with you. Jesus will endure with you. Jesus will dwell in you if you continue to abide in him. This is good. This is what I need. This is what you need. You know, some of you have been rejected by others. You know, you could probably describe rejection in ways that I could not. Jesus will not do that to you. He will not reject you. Many of you in this room have been insulted and you've been abused by others. Jesus will not do that to you ever. People have have given up on you at various times. People have thrown you out of their lives. He will not do that to you. Jesus is not a here today, gone tomorrow kind of God. He is not. And there is no better investment of your time, your love, your energy, and passion that, than for you to abide in Jesus. Do, do you believe that? There is no better use of your time and of your energy and of your emotions and your passions than for you to consistently abide and stay connected with and endure with Jesus. This is the number one thing you can do. No better investment. No better investment. Do you believe this? Let's move on to how else Jesus, our true vine, instructs us. Remember, he's the true vine. We are the branches, okay? In verse 5 and 10, if you want to look at those verses, put them in front of you really quickly. Apart from Jesus, our vine, we can't produce fruit. And that fruit comes from obeying his commandments. This is putting verses 5 and 10 together. I want you to think back to that world's largest grapevine for a second and remember all that luscious ah, juicy fruit. Those grapes, all those they were very beefy. They were very purple. Okay? And they're just hanging off the branches. It's amazing. Now how long would those branches be continuing to produce those massive grapes if I decided to take my trusty chainsaw, get on a plane. I don't think they'd allow chainsaws on planes, am I right? Probably not. Uh, let's say I've got one and I'm just sort of chainsaw happy and I like to cut stuff up and uh, yeah, it's weird. Uh, anyhow, let's jump on a plane with my chainsaw, go to Surrey, UK, and I just decide to go nuts with my chainsaw uh, in that place. Would that go over well? Okay, if I took my chainsaw, I'd sliced off all the branches. Horticulturalist chainsaw massacre this is not not good this is not good it would not bode well for those branches no more fruit no more fruit no more fruit jesus point is he's saying to you and i you need me you need me to abide and remain and stay connected with you so you need to abide with me the true vine if you abide with me you will bear much fruit that's what he says you will bear much fruit if you abide, remain with, endure with, dwell with me. And he's sharing a warning here that if you choose to disconnect from Jesus, you will not bear fruit. You will not bear fruit. In fact, you'll, you'll bear nothing. Nothing of eternal value. Later in verse 10, we see the connection between four key things, okay? Let's see if you can sort of draw this out in your mind's eye four key things that are connected, okay? we got fruit, we got abiding, we got love, and we got obedience. They go together. They go together, meaning the way you produce fruit for Jesus is by abiding with Jesus, and the way that you abide with Jesus is by loving Jesus, and the way that you love Jesus is by obeying Jesus. You see, fruit, abiding, love, and obedience, they all work together, and that results in A beautiful relationship with Jesus and God our Father. By the way, what exactly is the fruit that he wants us to produce in our lives? What is the fruit? You think about that? Well, the fruit talked about here seems to be a big, giant category. And this is a big category. Fruit in this text, in this passage, would likely include all the good things that result when you love, trust, and follow Jesus. So it's a big category. So this can be fruit, for example, displaying the fruit of the Spirit as described in Galatians. Okay? Love, joy, peace, and so on. That's part of this fruit that you produce for God and His glory. Fruit also includes displaying a Christ centered marriage as we are instructed to in Ephesians chapter 5. Fruit also contains the category of you working hard in your job, serving Jesus in your workplace uh, as your ultimate boss. All right. Fruit also includes the Great Commission, Matthew twenty-eight, the idea of you making disciple, making disciples of Jesus for God's glory. In other words, what our job is and our mission is to reproduce what Jesus has done in you, and then to re- replicate that into the lives of others in and around you. So it's all those things. But the key thing here is obedience, joy-filled obedience. And to keep things simple for me, which commandments are really core to Jesus? Well, I just look to the commandments that he says are really important in the New Testament. And these would be in the category of the great commandments and the great commandments commission. And so this is something I pray, and I do this very imperfectly, and these are the commandments that really drive me, or I I aim to to drive into my life and make central in my life is a prayer kind of like this. Father, empower me to love you with all my heart and soul and mind and strength because everything in me wants to love me. I want you to be first, foremost, paramount in my heart. Help me. Help me. Help me love you with everything. Further, help me to pursue your great commission to make disciples making disciples of Jesus for God's glory and, and i really believe the great commandments Matthew 22 and the great commission Matthew 28 those really serve as the centerpiece commandments that his followers we the branches are to obey in order to show our this is how we show love for Jesus how do you prove your love for Jesus you just do what he says Look at the great commandments and the great commission primarily and keep abiding with Jesus in that way to produce fruit for Jesus. All right, we need to bring this message in for a landing. We're going to look at the third point in verse 2, and this is in your notes. It's simply, God the Father is the vine dresser. God the Father is the vine dresser. And you might recall that happy person in the first illustration. There may or may not be a a picture of this happy person, (laughs) okay? This is a vine dresser, and this is her job all day long, I think, 40 hours a week, is to tend and to dress the world's largest grapevine, And she does so, and all the other staff members who also do this, they do this very carefully and meticulously, very lovingly, because they love that thing. They love it, all right? And, And so does God our Father... He tends to you in a much more loving way, much more meticulous way, much more intimate way. Jesus says that the vine dresser, God the Father, removes non-fruitful branches, which are then thrown away, gathered, and then thrown into a fire and, and burned. This is harsh. This is clearly God's judgment in hell. I mean, there's no other way to look at it. And this is anyone Anyone who chooses to reject Jesus, the one true vine they were made for, the one true vine they were designed for, designed to be in a relationship with, it's not going to end well for you if you keep rejecting Christ. You need Him, you need the spiritual nourishment and the salvation that He provides. Maybe today is the day you finally turn to Jesus. Is today that day? Is that today? If it is, let's have a conversation but then it gets positive. So that's where the branches who choose to reject Jesus, choose not to abide with Jesus. It doesn't end well for them. They get cut off and burned. But then it gets positive about this vine dresser, uh, but still difficult. Jesus says that God, the vine dresser, prunes fruitful branches. He prunes fruitful branches. That's interesting. And the beautiful and the painful thing is, unless you carefully prune fruit branches, they'll get stuck they will not produce more fruit or they will produce less fruit the next year than they once did. That's what happens. I know nothing about horticulture, but that I know. And the connection is, you see where I'm going with this, God the Father is in the business of pruning you over the course of your life. And that process is called sanctification which is simply a long word that simply means God causing you to become more and more holy over the course of your life. The process of you becoming more and more like God, more like Jesus, over the course of your life. That is sanctification. And yes, this pruning that he does, it is painful sometimes, isn't it? It is painful. It hurts. It makes you bleed. Bleed some sap. But afterwards, 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 you're stronger. You're more resilient. You're more able to obey Jesus. It's like obedience becomes your default. It becomes more natural because you're in that habit now. And you're more able to to live a Christ-centered marriage and, and more able to reach more people in your workplace and more people on your street and your extended family. And it's just wonderful. There's more fruit there's more fruit. Do you want more fruit, by the way? Do you want more fruit? Do you want more change in your life? Do you want to see more people turn their lives to Christ in your life? It's good. We should want that. I should want that more than I do. And I'm just saying, as I, the plane is landing. The plane is landing, so hang with me. I am suggesting to you now, would you embrace the Father's pruning in your life? Don't reject it. Don't get bitter or resentful towards God for it being there. Just say, full on, prune me. Prune me now. Prune me now. I receive it. Do your thing. And when you do, you will experience many more of the wonderful benefits and the joys of His kingdom fruit and kingdom blessing in your life. This is, and this is how we glorify God in our lives. Bring it on. Change me, prune me, sanctify me, and then God gets the glory. Isn't that amazing? Let's bring it in for prayer. Would you pray with me? <clears throat> God, help us to do that, to embrace your pruning. Help us to do whatever we can to trust in you, to remain connected with you, to abide with you, to endure with you, to dwell in you and you will abide in us. We need your power and strength to obey you. Obey your great commandments and your great commission. To obey your instructions about how to conduct our marriages and our parenting and our, our work ethic and our, our, how we work in our workplace. We just need your help in every way. And I pray that we would experience as we abide in you more of that full joy and that love that you promise. We need you. Save us from ourselves. Change us for your glory. We thank you for the cross, by which, without which we would add nothing at all. So thank you for your cross, for your resurrection. We come to your table to remember and celebrate what you've done. Through Christ we pray. Amen.